Well, thank you for tuning in to Piney Grove Baptist Church Podcast, and we've been working through the book of Deuteronomy for the past few weeks, and today uh, we are in chapter 15. Uh, some of the day's challenges will be uh, forgiveness, forgiveness for uh, your sin, uh, forgiving one another, and how uh, forgiveness is so liberating, not only from our sins, but as we forgive one another, how liberating that is. Uh, listen, we would love to hear from you. So if you would like to send us an email, you can do so at office at pgbcnc.org. We hope that you enjoy today's message. May God bless you. All right, let's take our Bibles and continue our journey through the book of Deuteronomy. Today we'll be in chapter 15. Now, unless Casey picks up in Deuteronomy next week, get a bit of a break, a bit, a bit of a breather in between uh, the chapters. And so today we'll be in chapter 15, the sermon that I have entitled, A Time for Absolution. A Time for Absolution. And I began as I was reading this, I asked myself, what is in a word? And how do we get definitions of, of words that we often use in, in the English language? What is in a word? For instance, the word absolution. Let's say that together. Absolution. Sounds so sophisticated, doesn't it? How many have used this term in their regular day-to-day -day speech? Absolution. And even though the term that is mostly associated, absolution, it is a term that has more Catholic leanings, but at the end of the day, absolution is simply a release from sin. It is a release from the grip of sin, and we would advocate that absolution is only brought through the person of Jesus. It is not brought by a priest, it is not bought by a particular person in ministry, it's not the pastor, it's not the, it's not the deacons, it's not the elders, it is Jesus who brings this absolution. And as I was reading through a selection of scripture this past week, I had this thought that kept coming back. And it's not so much in a pithy saying as much as it was in a particular song that we used to sing growing up. And this song that I am speaking of goes as such. It said, He paid a debt that he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace, Christ Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay. This, my friends, is the sense of true absolution. The simplicity in the verse that I just read of, I owed a debt I could not pay. The simplicity of that Theology, as simple as it is, is profound and is everlasting. It is really at the heart, the crux of the substitutionary atonement. That Jesus took my place. 
paid for my sins as to where I had nothing to offer in my wretched state. So yes, Jesus came to pay the payment for sin that we could not pay our, ourselves. And I thought to myself, well, what are the wages that we receive for sin? Well, the wages that we receive as prescribed in the scripture is that of death. Jesus came to pay the sin debt that we could never pay. He came as the high priest, the superlative high priest, to absolve from sin. And so if you will bear with me for just a few moments this morning, I would like to share with you some words of encouragement, some challenging words on forgiveness, and how forgiveness... And forgiving others is a reflection of the gospel. You might be here this morning, and there's somebody in your mind right now. And you might say to yourself, I can't never forgive that person. You might say to yourself, I will never forgive them. Do you know that no better demonstration can be presented in your life than to forgive the unforgivable? As we once were unforgivable, as it would seem, and Jesus came to die for the unforgivable, those who did not deserve one, one molecule of salvation, and yet Christ died for us, for you. Maybe that is the challenge for you this morning. Somebody in your mind and heart right now who you say is absolutely unforgivable, but I want to be a demonstration of the gospel. And so today, by the help and the enablement of the Holy Spirit, I am going to forgive. So let's stand for the reading of the Word. Deuteronomy chapter 15, I'm going to read those first six verses, and then we'll navigate through the rest of the chapter together. Jesus paid a debt I could not pay. Deuteronomy 15 verse 1 says, At the end of every season or every seven years you shall grant a release. This is the manner of the release is what you'll do. Every, every creditor shall release what he has lent to his neighbor. He shall not exact it of his neighbor, his brother, because the Lord's release has been proclaimed. Of a foreigner you may exact it, but... Whatever of yours is with your brother, your hand shall release. But there will be no poor amongst you, for the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess. If only you will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all this command, commandment that I command you, the Lord God will bless you as He has promised you. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. In fact, you shall rule over many nations, but they shall not rule over you. Lord, bless the reading today. Point us to salvation in Jesus. Use these verses today to point us towards ultimate forgiveness. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So as you can imagine, last week we talked about the clean and unclean foods 
uh, that was uh, prescribed, those things that you could clean and, or to eat and those that you could not. And you remember the picture of the beaver that we showed up. And right now, if you go on to our Spotify and you search Piney Grove Baptist Church, you'll find that picture. That is our, that is our icon. That's our, our, our thumbnail for that particular sermon from last, from last week. But just as last week the food laws were not particularly about food itself but about being separate, being clean. So today, the uh, lender and the borrower is not the content of what we will be discussing. It's so much more about a person lending money and then paying it back, although there will be elements of that in today's sermon. You know, according to Business Insider, the average American has a total of $52,000 in debt. Some have even escalated that that right now is hovering around $90,000 for the average American. That figure will stretch across from mortgage payments to automobile loans to home equity lines of credit to credit card debt, student debt, and other debts like personal debts and personal loans that are given out. In North Carolina alone, the average, um, the average for credit card debt teeters on the edge of $3,000 per, uh, per citizen of North Carolina. The average household gets about 25 different credit card promotional offers a year. And I can attest to the veracity of that truth this morning from people calling the house to getting uh, letters in the mail, uh, you know, from credit card offers and so forth. The average household gets those 25 credit card promotions a year. In January 2022, the national debt was and is hovering around the $30 trillion mark. What does the Bible say about the borrower and the lender? What does the Bible say about owing somebody or something, an institution money? Well, the Bible says in Proverbs 22 and verse 7, that the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is the slave to the lender. Is a slave to the lender. Now, in no way, this message is not going to be about how you can get out of debt quick. And if there's a sermon and a surefire way uh, for that, sign me up. But it's not how to get out of debt quick. It's not how to to handle your finances wisely, although there are tools that exist for you to incorporate in your life to get out of debt, to be a good steward of what the Lord has given you. This message is not that. The portion of the scripture today will highlight the importance of forgiving debt and living in harmony amongst kingdom-minded people. At the heart of today's sermon will be the important doctrine of forgiveness and forgiveness through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The reformer, Martin Luther, most known for the Protestant Reformation. Many folks in here, hopefully you know who Martin Luther was and the importance in church history of Martin Luther for the Reformation. Martin Luther was a man who had a lot of inner struggles. A lot of inner tension. He battled with a lot of different things, and particularly one of those things was his sin. As I think, we ought to struggle with sin. We ought to wrestle with sin. Well, Martin Luther tells of a dream that he had one time, and in his dream, Satan was in his dream. Now, 
I haven't had many dreams that I can ever recollect where Satan himself was in my dream. But here's Martin Luther. He tells this dream how, how Satan came to him in a dream and began to attack him. The devil unrolled this long scroll that he had with Martin Luther's name at the top. And he unrolled this scroll. This was an account of all of Martin Luther's sin. And he stretched it out before him. On reaching the very end of the scroll, Martin Luther looks at the devil and says, Is that all? Well, to which the devil replied, No, I came ready. He rolls out a second scroll. All of Martin Luther's sins laid out on that second scroll. And he had a third scroll, and he wrote it out before Martin Luther. And Martin Luther read through it and replied, he said, You've forgotten something very important. Luther exclaiming very triumphantly, You have forgotten something very important. He grabs out his pen. He begins to write on each scroll. Here's the words Martin Luther wrote on each of these scrolls that cataloged his sin. He said, The blood of Christ Jesus, God's Son, cleanses us from all sins. Amen. What a wonderful testimony and reminder. So let's begin. Verse 1, Deuteronomy chapter 15. What we find in these verses is the Lord's great release. What is the Lord's great release? Is it about releasing of land? It is, is it about releasing of servants? Or is it something greater than all of that? What is the Lord's great release? Well, the Bible tells us at the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release. And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor shall release what he has lent his neighbor, and he shall not exact of his neighbor, his brother, because the Lord's release has been proclaimed. Now, where has it been proclaimed at? Well, we find it in Exodus 20, 21, verse 2, Exodus 23, verse 11, Leviticus 25, verse 4, Jeremiah 34, verse 14. It is, it is, it is a significant proclamation. But there is something significant that is happening here about the number 7 in Scripture. I mean, and by the way, this is not some hidden code in the Bible, the number 3, the number 7 number four, the number 40. These are all numbers that are used over and over in Scripture, and so it is with the number seven. And the reason that the number seven is significant in the Bible, there is one primary reason. Why is the number seven important in God's Word? It's because all of God's Word is important. Amen? <laughs> because all of God's Word is important. But some would say that the number seven is a sign of completion. If you remember, go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth and all that is within it. In the seventh day, everything was done. On the seventh day, the Bible says that the Lord was finished with His creation. And so the King James says He rested or it was complete. He was finished with all that He was creating in that six-day time. And on the seventh day, He rested. It is a number of completion and now the number of years for a person to be indebted to their master was at a close on that seventh year. We find that in Exodus 21, as I mentioned, verse 2, if we want to start from that point, that's the point of reference. But there is a civil reason why the Lord commanded the creditor to forgive the loan. What did it teach the people? What, did it, what does it teach you when you lend somebody something and they give it back? Or you ask for something 
and you give it back in a timely manner. What does it teach? What does it teach the people about living in harmony one with another? Well, it teaches the people to be good stewards. You don't, you don't borrow something with the intentions of not paying it back. So it teaches the people how to be good stewards. It teaches, it teaches the people, it teaches us how to keep our promises one to another. If we take out our loan, hey, we're going to pay it back. If I borrow my, your lawnmower, I'm going to give it back to you. It's to keep the promises. It is to forgive one another. It is to build trust one with another. And above all, it is a demonstration of loving your neighbor as yourself. Loving your neighbor as yourself. Now, a good parallel to this in the New Covenant can be found in Acts chapter 2 and verse 45. You may be familiar with Acts 2.45. I hope that you are, students of God's Word. Acts 2.45 says that they made it their practice. This is something that they, this was their practice. This was something they did of their own free will. To sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to anyone who was in need. And highlight the important disclaimer that they gave it of their own free will. And as they sold, they gave it out. I like to think of Acts chapter 2, especially around verse 45, as gospel community. Gospel community. So living with a kingdom God mindset is on display. The property is initially given to them by God anyway. So he is the ultimate lender. It's his anyway. He owned the land. He owns it all. He is the ultimate lender. So he has the right to make a decree such as the debts shall be forgiven on or by that seventh year. The reason for this acquittal of a debtor and at that particular period was drawn, number one, obedience to God. It is obedience to the command that God has given. It is to honor God. And it demonstrates a spiritual important point that just as God has been merciful and gracious to His people, so shall His people be gracious to one another. The same cannot be said of the pagan foreigner who cares nothing for the law of the Lord. They do not care one bit whether or not they pay back their debt or not. In this context, therefore Moses says in verse 3, Of a foreigner you may exact it. Okay, get back what they owe you. But whatever of yours is with your brother, your hand shall receive it. Collect the debt from them. But amongst each other, amongst your brothers, demonstrate. So it's mutual. It's mutual. It is living in this kingdom mindset. It demonstrates love God, love others. Now, in the book of Acts, it lays out, that's why it's called Acts. It is a history lesson. Although we find some theological truths and commands the book of Acts is a history lesson. It tells us what the early church did. It records the acts of the apostles. So in Acts 11, verse 16, there is a particular part of the world where Christians were first 
called Christians. Anyone know where that is? They were first called Christians at Antioch. This is very important. It is important because Christ's followers made such an impact on loving one another and doing the work of the Lord Jesus that it turned culture upside down. Do you believe that Christ's followers can impact culture to where we can shift the tide, so to speak? I do. This forgiving of debt reflects the Lord's forgiveness and of forgiving one another, but it also serves as a building block for the good news. What do I mean by that? It gives ammunition for the good news message. When God's people are in harmony one with another, there is ammunition for the good news. Nobody wants to listen to a church that is in division and bickering and fighting and ill at one another and taking each other to court. Do you think somebody wants to listen to that message of Jesus from that particular body? Here's why the church at Antioch was so respected. You got a handful of Jews from Jerusalem. They had come down to Antioch. And there they preached the gospel message to the heathen. The biblical word for that would be the sojourner, the traveler, the heathen. And here is their victory. Here's their crown, their crowning moment in the early church. Here is where the church shines like a bright diamond for the person and the work of Jesus. Because amongst the heathen, they had a testimony that was so moving that they had to search for a new name for this movement. At the beginning, Christians or Christ ones was a derogatory term. It was like a cut down for those who were Christ ones. It was used as a derogatory term. And through the course of church history, the church moved in such a way that it began to shift the culture and it became a, a, a term of endearment where the early church was not only preaching Jesus, but they were living out their faith for the world to see and they were living in harmony one with another. So clearly the name Christian for those in Antioch shows a couple of things. It shows us that the early church was attractive to outsiders because it showed and demonstrated a radical change and gave hope. You know, that's a question I've been thinking about. Is Piney Grove Baptist Church, this local assembly, are we attractive to the world? Are we attractive in a sense that we have demonstrated a good news message, the centrality of Jesus, the importance of missions, and God's people in Piney Grove are making disciples. Is there something attractive? See, the early church was attractive to that point that, that it showed a radical change in so much that it shifted the culture. Secondly, there was this new thing at work. Something new was happening. Yes, it's based on an, on an old covenant, but something, God is doing something new through the work of Jesus. He has birthed the church. The church has come alive. It's been indwelt by the, by the Holy Spirit of God. God is doing a new work. The early disciples had all been Jews, and you might have had a, a Gentile here and there, but the majority of the early church was Jewish. But here is... Here is something that could not be labeled. And we said this this morning in Sunday school. There is about 300 some thousand different denominations under the umbrella of Christianity. Some are preaching heresy, but they claim to be Christian. Can you imagine that? 300 some thousand different denominations. 
Sounds a little bit divided, doesn't it? Here's the thing. The early church was radical to such a degree that it could not be labeled as Jew or Greek. Why? Because it welcomed both. It welcomed all tongues, colors, creeds, nationalities. The new name is the first witness to this multicultural, multi-ethical power and dynamic of the gospel to change you and me. Remember I asked you that question? Is there somebody that you can think of that right now that, man, you need to forgive? The power and scope of the gospel can bring you to that place to offer forgiveness. And, by the way, you can forgive perpetually. That's the power and dynamic of the gospel. I hear people say this all the time, and I hear people say, you know what, preacher, I just wish that we could get back to the early church. The way the early church was, was a couple problems with that. Number one, the apostles are dead and gone. Okay, you have no apostolic authority in the church today. We are disciples, yes, but we are not apostles. The apostles are dead and gone, but Jesus left us a command to make disciples of the nations, didn't he? Didn't he? So I hear people talk about this all the time. We need to get back to the way the early church was, but then they forget how extremely multicultural, multi-ethical and diverse amongst all people groups. And, and, and the beautiful thing, the amazing thing about it is this. This is what makes it so amazing, especially in our culture today. They did not embrace sin. They did not try to justify sin. Sin was called out for what it was. They admonished one another in love. They rebuked one another in love. They didn't compromise the word. And they welcomed all who would come and repent and embrace Jesus the Messiah. You want to be like the early church? There's your formula. This, my friends, is the great release that we find in Deuteronomy 15.3. It is a pointer towards how and why there is this great release from the burden of sin and the power of the gospel. Even in Deuteronomy 15. If you follow through the rest of the, the chapter, you'll see that the Lord says, well, there will be poor amongst you. How are you going to handle it? The Lord blessed you with the land, so now you will be a blessing. I like this term, blessed to be a blessing. You ever heard anyone say that? Blessed to be a blessing. God has given you resources so that you can bless others. The Bible also says in verse 15, if you will strictly obey, or verse 5, if you will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God, be careful to do all this that He has commanded you today. The Lord will bless you as He has promised. In fact, you will not borrow from the nations. The nations will borrow from you. In fact, they won't rule over you. You will rule over them. And if any one of you uh, amongst your brothers shall become poor any, in any of your towns within your land that the Lord is giving you, you shall not harden your heart. You shall not shut your hand to your poor brother. You shall open up your hand. You shall open up your palm and give to them whatever it may be. Don't have this unworthy thought in your head. So we talked of kingdom thoughts. This is an anti-kingdom thought. To say the seventh year, the year of release is near, and your eyes will look grudgingly on your poor brother and give him nothing. Why? Because on that seventh year, 
They are not to collect that debt anymore. So your brother comes to you in year number six. All right? Six. The year six. Right at that six-month period and says, Brother, I need something from you. Well, this command says, don't look at him like, Well, you, you know, brother, you only got six months, and I don't know if I could trust you in six months to pay me back on that loan. But the Lord would say, do not look begrudgingly upon them. At least you be guilty of sin. Give him freely because now we're living in gospel or kingdom community. You ought to be able to trust your brother enough that he's going to do what the Lord has commanded and pay you back. He says, because for this, the Lord your God will bless you in all of your work and in all that you undertake. Secondly, He came to set the captive free. He came to set the captive free. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, Jesus is reading from the scroll of Isaiah. As he's reading in the synagogue, he he declares this. He says this, and I'll, I'll read this later. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who were oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And by the way, Jesus is talking about what we just read. He's saying, I'm the fulfillment. I'm the ultimate fulfillment of this. And I would imagine, you know, the priest, those in the synagogue at the time, yes, master, agreeing with Jesus at this point. Yes, he will send Messiah. Yes, he will liberate. Yes, we are waiting for Messiah. But then Jesus drops this bomb on him. As he says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And at that moment, ah, didn't go so well for Jesus in the synagogue. See, Jesus is pointing back to these verses in Deuteronomy and demonstrates much like the food laws weren't about food and the debt. And the lender isn't about money and possessions. It is about true liberty. It is about true freedom and the liberty from the bondage and the ultimate bondage of sin. In this moment, Jesus is preaching that great atonement is coming. That he himself is this great atonement. That the guilty might be forgiven. That's you. That's me. That the slave may be set free. That's you. That's me. And what was lost due to the fall might be regained through the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what was lost in the fall is regained by Christ. Then in verse 11... For there will never cease to be poor in your land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, to the poor in your land. In those days, sometimes if a person could not pay back their debt, they would offer themselves up as a a servant to repay it. And by the way, the way that the servant was treated in the home, see, we get this idea. I think it comes from, I think it comes from, I think it comes from unbelieving um, scholars, theologians who try to discredit the Bible. We get this idea when the word slave or servant is used in a Bible, we get this vision of roots or something like that where the, where the slave is in chains and they're being whipped or so forth and so on. We get this image, but that's not the image at all. That's not, that's not the servant in Scripture. The servant was treated in the home like an employee and many times a member of the family. 
They were to be well taken care of. God decreed that the servant, the employee, the worker in the home who might say, I'll be a servant to pay back my debt, they are to be well taken care of. God said, if your brother, a Hebrew man or Hebrew woman, is sold to you, you shall serve for six years, or he shall serve in six years, and the seventh year he shall let them go free. And when you let them go free, here, here it is, you do not let them go empty-handed. You do not give, you do not let them go empty-handed. So the servant was many times treated just like part of the family. The term of servitude could not stretch outside of this six-year time frame. And they obtained their freedom either after six years from the time of their sale or before the end of the seventh year, some, or at the end of the sixth year. At the year of Jubilee, such servants were liberated, even if the six years of service was not completed. Leviticus 25 and verse 39 for, for reference. And as a measure of grace, as a measure of mercy, to demonstrate the grace and mercy of God Almighty, the Master is commanded by the Lord that you shall furnish him liberally out of your flock. You will give him grain out of your threshing floor and wine out of your wine press. The Lord has blessed you, you shall give him. Blessed to be a blessing, right? You give him as you have been blessed. Why? I want you to remember something. You have been enslaved in Egypt. You were oppressed miserably by the Egyptians. And God redeemed you, therefore I command you this this day. Now, from verse 16 on, the Bible says, but if he say, I don't want to go from you, he, sometimes that happened. They were treated so well that he didn't want to leave. They wanted to stay. They wanted to serve in the home. They loved the household so. Since he is well off with you, he shall stay. And they are to put an awl through their ear, and they will be yours forever. Females do the same. And it shall not seem hard to you when you let him go free for you, for at half cost of a hired worker he will serve six years. The Lord God will bless you in all that you do, all the firstborn males. So in a way, this becomes a tithe. You give the firstborn male of the herd and the flock, you'll dedicate it to the Lord. You shall do no work with the firstborn. And the Bible says in verse 20, you shall eat it, you and your household, before the Lord your God, year by year at that place that the Lord will choose. If there's any blemish, if there's any lame or blind, has any serious blemish whatsoever, you shall not sacrifice it to, to the Lord. The clean and the unclean alike, though it be a gazelle or a deer, you shall eat it within your towns. Uh, only you shall not eat its blood. You shall pour it out on the ground like water. Thus ending chapter 15. So yeah, more than simply owing and paying back. The Lord reminds us, as He's reminded them, remember how you were slaves in Egypt. Remember how you had a heavy taskmaster. Remember the heavy burden that was upon you. Even though you are free people, there will be moments when the effect of sin will lift its ugly head, and no amount of bloodshed, no amount of sacrifices will adequately, adequately cover them all. No matter how many sacrifices that they would bring to the high priest and offer, no amount of sacrifice would be thoroughly suffice. There needs to be a once and all spotless lamb. As the debtor and the servants were set free, 
So Jesus, the Master, came to set the captive free. As we were bound and dead in our sins, Jesus came to break the chains of sin. And He is still doing so today. So here's the challenge to think upon in closing. That sin enslaves us. Sin enslaves. But forgiveness frees us. Forgiveness frees us. The wages of sin is death. But Jesus offers the gift of eternal life. Gives us freedom. In Richard Hoffler's book entitled, Will Daylight Come? I think this is a good illustration of how sin will enslave us and yet forgiveness frees us. Even in the practical sense, as I challenge you this morning, somebody you might have a hard time forgiving God would enable you to forgive. And in fact, it is the calling of the Christ follower to forgive one another. In this particular book entitled, Will Daylight Come? He offers an illustration of how sin enslaves and how forgiveness gives us freedom, liberates us. A little boy was visiting with his grandparents, and upon visiting, Grandma and Grandpa gave him a gift. Little Johnny. Little Johnny got a slingshot, his first ever slingshot. You know, I think of, I think of the Christmas carol, you'll shoot your eye out, kid. Think of that with a slingshot. Gave, gave him a slingshot. He practiced out in the woods. He set up some cans and he fired away at that slingshot, but was never really good at it. Over and over, he would pull that thing back as best he could and fire away and completely miss his target. Never hit his target. Discouraged, he came back to Grandma and Grandpa's house, trekking through the backyard. When he looked over, he saw some ducks. So as a little boy, inquisitive as they are, inquisitive as they might be, he grabbed him a stone without thinking, and on impulse, he pulls back that stone in the slingshot, bah, lets it go, hits a duck, duck falls dead. Wow, these are grandma's ducks. What's going to happen? He panicked. Desperately, he hid the duck in a woodpile, stuffed it in a woodpile. If they don't find it, maybe they won't know. Only to look up the same moment he was dragging that duck to that woodpile and saw his sister watching through a window. Sally seen everything from Johnny walking through the yard to pulling out that slingshot and striking the duck dead. But she said nothing. She was waiting for the right time to spring into action. <laughs> After lunch that day, Grandma said, Sally, let's wash the dishes. But Sally said, Johnny told me that he wanted to help in the kitchen today. Didn't you, Johnny? Wink, wink. She whispered to him, remember the duck. So Johnny did the dishes. So he did not want to, he did, not, he did not want to face the wrath of Grandma and Grandpa and his own sin. Later, Grandpa asked if the children wanted to go fishing. Grandma said, I'm sorry, but I need Sally to help me make supper. It's time for supper. I need help. And Sally's going to help me. Well, Sally smiled again and she whispered, 
That's all taken care of. Johnny wants to do it. He told me he wants to help with supper today. Wink, wink. Whispers to him, remember the duck. Johnny stayed a while and Sally went fishing. After several days of doing his chores and Sally's chores as well, finally he couldn't stand it anymore. The guilt began to eat him, eat him up inside, plus he was just getting tired of doing double the chores. So he confessed to Grandma that he had killed the duck. Now, you know how grandmas are, uh, my grandma was at least, tenderly looking at the grandchild. She does so with Johnny. She tenderly says to Johnny, she says, I know, giving him a hug, assuring him, comforting him. I was standing at the window too. I saw the whole thing. But because I love you, I forgave you. I was just wondering how long you were going to let Sally make a slave of you. How long will you be a slave to your sin? How long will you be a slave to unforgiveness and bitterness? How long will you let the shackles of sin stay intact when Jesus came to set the captive free? Listen, you do not have to be a slave to sin because Jesus absolves them all. Pray together.